out. And so it's really hard to see what's happening up there. I have some friends who are still up there at that church, and we, we've been talking. Uh, so it's very hard to watch. It's very hard to respond to all this. But let me just read some of what we released this week. A dear church family, it is with a heavy heart that I inform you that James McDonald has been fired from the Main Harvest Church as of today. That was Tuesday or Wednesday. Harvest Payless is entirely independent from Harvest Rolling Meadows. We withdrew our affiliation from their church planting network years ago. But these matters still affect us as we are still share a common name and history. And then I listed four things that are our immediate responses to this. We're still trying to figure out everything that's happening up there. But here are four responses we had. First of all, uh, James McDonald biblically disqualified himself from ministry. All pastors sin and require God's grace on a daily basis, but ministers are warned against the pattern of unrepentant sin. It says in 1 Timothy 5.20, As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all, so that the rest may stand in fear. James McDonald remains publicly unrepentant for his disqualifying conduct as a minister of the gospel. Also, the elders at Harvest, uh, at the main harvest have yet to demand biblical repentance from James and they have yet to repent publicly of specific sins that they have been aware of and involved in. So that's number one. Uh, number two, what were the main issues? The main issues were lack of accountability, spiritually abusive leadership, and financial mismanagement. These charges have been verified by a chorus of credible witnesses and a mounting pile of documentation. Uh, everything came to a head on WLS earlier this week when all of Chicagoland heard audio files of James McDonald saying deceptive, crude, and criminal things about other Christians. And then uh, Julie Roy's released texts where James admitted that over $1 million of Harvest Bible Fellowship money was used for his own church's expenses. It's unfortunate that people outside the church had to bring all this to light, and we still wait for complete confession and ownership to be, to be expressed by their elders. Number three, the message and the ministry model were not the problem. So many people were blessed by the preaching of James McDonald. I was trained for pastoral ministry by him and by other great men of God at Harvest. The message, the ministry, and the movement were built on solid biblical foundations. The man was the problem. Not the movement, not the ministry, not the message. He did not practice what he preached. The Bible he taught from is still true. And everything God's word warned him about is coming to pass. Therefore, we should believe the Bible more because of this, not less. Number four, moving forward will require both grace and truth from Christ. We must avoid the twin pitfalls of unbiblical grace and unmerciful truth. James McDonald remains in a place of disgrace and discipline. And if we bypass his need for repentance, then we preach a different gospel to a watching world. But if we refuse him forgiveness, we forget how much God has forgiven us. Grace and truth. This is a time to sympathize with those who were victims of all the drama. Most people were not exposed to James McDonald's private patterns of sin, and they're now heartbroken that their former pastor failed them. They need grace. But the truth must prevail once again at harvest. The people need the truth about the finances, about James McDonald's patterns of sin, and about, and about uh, those who were right to blow the whistle. We want Harvest, the elders, and James McDonald to be healthy and holy as Jesus continues to build them into a temple of the living God. So we're asking God to bring beauty from ashes, and we're praying for Christ to be glorified through a process of repentance as the leaders consecrate themselves to serve the King who will return in heavenly glory soon. 
So that was our statement. If you have any questions, you can talk to me. You can talk to any one of our elders. We've been monitoring this uh, very closely for many years. Uh, we are in the process of rebranding, changing our name. Um, we saw that as a last resort, uh, but we are in the process of doing that. We're not doing that in a rush, uh, but we are in the process of doing that as well. We'll discuss more of this at our all-church rally tonight, and I would love for you to be there, and you'll have a chance to ask questions also in a, in a uh, smaller setting there as well. Why don't we pray, and um, let's pray before we get into God's Word together, lifting all this up to the Lord. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do have heavy hearts, and Lord, we do pray. We pray for the Main Harvest Bible Chapel. We owe them a great de debt of gratitude because they sent us out, they launched us. Pastor James trained me, and so many of us have been blessed by his teaching. Lord, we pray for them. We pray for them today. We pray for a spirit of revival and repentance to permeate their entire congregation. Uh, Lord, we just pray for the truth and for the grace to rule. Jesus, you came from the Father full of grace and full of truth. And so we pray that harvest would be full of grace and full of truth again. Lord, we pray for so many who have been hurt, Lord, uh, by uh, the way that things have been handled. We pray for so many who have been offended, Lord, by the actions of the leaders. Heal their hearts, and may they not turn from the Lord Jesus Christ because of this. We think of the generations rising up in that church for the children and for the teenagers who can't fully understand what's happening. Oh Lord, may this not weaken their faith. We just pray that you would help them to see that the Lord Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Meet us in your word today, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's open our Bibles up to Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Last week, I was at the Senior Pastor and Wise Retreat with Warren and Mike Kiowski, uh, one of our missionaries and former elders, preached. Mike Kiowski, thank you so much last week. We really appreciate you and your ministry. So the title of the sermon today is Grace Greater Than All My Sin. Do you remember that song? Grace, grace, I'm not going to sing it. Grace that is greater than all my sin. I remember when I first got saved and I went to more of a uh, you know, a smaller church, and we, we just had piano and organ, and we sang that song, and I love it as a new believer at college, but grace greater than all my sin, that thought comes from, from this passage, Romans 5, 12 to 21, and it says in this passage where we can find the origin of our greatest problems in life, where it all came from. It's always interesting to find out where something came from, right? I researched earlier this week uh, where computers came from. Who invented the computer? And yeah, there, there's, there's debate, but a strong case can be made that Charles Babbage created the idea for the first computer. He called it the analytical engine. It was in like the 1830s or 40s. So we're talking 1800s here, and here's a picture of his idea. He didn't even get to build it, but here's a picture of his idea of what the first co computational device right, could look like. And if you read about this thing, it had some of the hallmarks of any modern ma machine. It had a central processing unit. Uh, it had memory. Of course, he didn't call it CPU. He called it the mill. <laughs> and memory was called the store. And this baby was steam-powered, all right? And there was a hand crank. But it wasn't fully built until 1991. Uh, the Science Museum in London built it to Babbage's exact specifications. It was called his Difference Engine. It stands 11 feet tall, seven or 11 feet long, seven feet tall. Contains 8,000 moving parts and weighs 
15 tons. All right, try putting that on your kitchen table in the morning. So it's so fascinating to think of where did computers come from? And if you keep going back in time, you know, basically this design, they, they say, is kind of the first computer that was, that was thought up and partially designed but not fully built, you know, ever. That's really cool. Now, in the Bible today, here's what the Apostle Paul is doing through the Spirit of God. The questions he's asking are, hey, where did sin come from? Like, where did, it, where did death come from? Somebody take me way back and show me the original prototype and whose great idea it was to bring sin and death into this world. We're going all the way back to the headwaters of the biggest problems we face in life in this text today. So it says in Romans 5, verse 12, Therefore, of course, looks back to what we heard last week. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Now, he just kind of pauses there and doesn't really complete his sentence. Do you know people who talk, and they, they talk so much, they often won't even finish a full sentence? How many of you know people like that? Sometimes the Apostle Paul writes like this. He's writing, and then he has another thought, and he just breaks off, and he keeps going. It drives scholars crazy when Bible people don't finish their sentences, because they're like, what was he going to say? Well, we know. He, he fills that all in. But it says here, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sin. And I think right there he realized, okay, I've got a lot of explaining to do here. <laughs> like, before I finish this sentence, I'm just going to, like, unpack it all. Number one, you can write this down. Define the problem. Define the problem. God wants you to define the problem that we all face in life, the problem of sin. And it says here, just as sin came into the world. Where did sin come from? Well, it came into the world. Meaning it had an entry point. Meaning it wasn't in the world. And then it was in the world. We learn a whole lot about the nature of evil from that basic statement. Sin had to come into the world. It wasn't in the world, and then it was. Just as sin came into the world through one man. Any guesses who that is? Adam. Good guess. Through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. So the Bible personifies sin here, and it treats it like an intruder. Like, Adam opened the door, sin snuck in, and let his buddy death in with him, and then death ran all over the world. Right? Where did sin come from? One man. We do believe that the problem of sin and death originated in a literal garden, Eden, with literal people, Adam and Eve. We don't think these are myths. We don't think these are children's stories. We don't think that the... Uh, you know, like Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible, right? We don't think that he just made up these, like, you know, analogies to tell us kind of what evil is like. We do think there is a real Satan. We do think that God created the heavens and the earth. And we believe that sin wasn't in the world from the beginning. God made everything and said it was what? It was good. It was good. Everything made everything good, good, good. And then something bad happened. Creation was good, man was innocent, and then Adam and Eve fell into sin. They were removed from the garden, refused access to the tree of life, 
and cursed as outlaws of God, although he forgave them and covered their sin. So the world has been invaded by enemies of God. These were not part of his original design. So that's where sin came from, but what is it? The words used here for sin, uh, there's a few different words used. One of them just means to miss the mark. Like there is a mark, like a target, and you missed it. You missed what was intended. And when we sin, we miss the mark. Another word in verse 15 is transgression or trespass. This uh, means a false step or a, a falling step or a tripping. To fall, to fall away, to fall into something, or to, to go where you don't belong. All these are like analogies of a, of a problem walking, right? Some of you lack coordination and you fall down a lot, all right? Uh, and I do too, so I'm one of you, right? I have spatial awareness issues, all right? <laughs> now this, this idea of tripping, though, is spiritual. There's a spiritual stumbling and tripping and lack of coordination, and so we fall into sin, we go where we're not supposed to, we wander, and walking is kind of one way that you can explain all of that. The idea of trespassing reminds me of my childhood. When I was a kid, I grew up in Palos Hills, and so our house is right by uh, one of the golf courses in, um, in Hickory Hills, right? And so we could just walk out onto the golf course as kids and have so much naughty fun. Like, it was unbelievable. Uh, do you know how much fun it is when a golfer tees off and then you run out and take his ball and run back into the forest? There is no greater joy in childhood because he gets in this little golf cart and he can't catch you, you know? And so... We would, and the best is when like, they, they got it onto the green and it was a really good shot, and then you ran off and stole the ball. You know, they got real mad when you did that. So my friends and I, we would trespass on the golf course all the time. And we, we got so bold. We went in there one day, and we spent all day in one of the creeks with a little milk, cart or milk crate, throwing it out there and pulling in balls. Then we'd go by the fence, and we would sell the balls to golfers and make money. It was amazing. It was like a business. And then, and they would always try and chase us. So the groundskeepers like went into the forest once and we like, we, we got caught and they, they took us back to like the clubhouse where the owner, who was a big intimidating guy, is like, what are you doing out there? And we, we were all just like, we're sorry, sir, we're sorry. But it paid off because he bought all of our golf balls off of us. <laughs> it was awesome. Anyway, I'm supposed to be making trespassing sound bad, but I'm actually making it sound kind of fun. This sermon illustration is backfiring. All right. I've got another picture, though, that will kind of help us understand this idea better. Here's a picture that, um, that the Canadian military put up outside of one of their training areas. No trespassing, right? Danger, keep out. And then just in case you wanted to go in anyway, it said, there are bombs inside. And then they had to add, they can kill you. All right. Hey, let's go in there. No, it, there's a sign. So what? It says bombs. Oh, well, no, it says they will kill us. All right, let's not go in there. All right, we, would, we wouldn't go in there, right? I wouldn't go in there. Now, this, this is the biblical idea of like trespassing or stumbling or going where you don't belong. Um, and actually, I'm standing by my golf course illustration because it's a lot of fun when you sin. All right, it's a lot of fun. You don't always feel like we're on a minefield and we could get blown up. A lot of times it's really fun to get off of the safe trail of God's word. Uh, but the idea is sin takes us off of the safe trail of God's word. 
And when we trespass, we are in terrible danger, and God really wants us to know what sin is and how to avoid it and where it came from. So we have to define the problem. And if you look around the world today, you will see that the world is still full of sin. It still is. But here's the thing. We aren't seeing new evils today. We're not. We're seeing old evils in new technology, in new ideologies, in new people, but it's the same old sin. So tracing sin all the way back goes to one man. The Bible teaches us that Adam's sin directly affects us. So to define the problem, you have to jot this down. We have to admit that we are sinful by nature. We have to admit that we're sinful by nature. It says in verse 12, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin. We have to clearly understand what that means. I, I could spend an hour telling you what I researched about those two words right there, all sinned. I won't. I won't. But we have to understand what that means. What that means when it says all sinned is that we inherit Adam's legal guilt for his sin. It means that we are sinful by nature because when Adam sinned, we share his guilt. Adam sinned and all of humanity was wrapped up in him and would come from him. And therefore, his transgression, his missing the mark, his false step, his wandering is yours. Now, I know that we like to think we're individuals, right? But we're not. The thought that we are just individual islands floating in an ocean and you stay out of my business. Listen, we believe that the Bible story is true, that we all came not from two people, from one, because Eve was created from Adam. Now, it's actually a beautiful thing, if you think about it, that we all share one common ancestor. It unifies the entire race. We're all family, right? That, that's a powerful truth that can break down a lot of big problems and barriers that we see today in life, realizing that we're, we all come from the same ancestor. But unfortunately, that means we all share in his legal guilt. We do. How many of you saw the movie Jumanji? Raise your hand if you saw the movie Jumanji. Put your hand down if you saw the, the movie Jumanji that came out recently. I'm talking about the real one, like the 1993 version of Jumanji. Raise your hand if you saw it with Robin Williams. That's the real one. Here's a picture. Jumanji was an amazing movie. Uh, and and there, if you remember in the movie, Robin Williams got caught in the game, right? They rolled the dice, they start the game, he got sucked into the game, and then no one played the game for like 20 years. And uh, who, who was it? Bonnie Hunt, was she in the movie too? And here's the next picture. So Bonnie Hunt, he comes back out of the game because kids start playing it again, and Bonnie Hunt has been going to counseling for like 20 years trying to tell herself, you know, that this never happened because she was just a little girl when this all happened. So finally, Robin Williams comes to her and says, you need, it's your turn. You need to roll the dice so we can end the game. And she's like, no, no, I am not. And he says this. He says, we are in this together, right? Roll the dice. And this idea of being all stuck and wrapped up in this tragic game where giant spiders are coming out. Hey, welcome to Earth, okay? If you think that you in your home and your little world, that you're isolated and all the problem people are out there, you don't understand the Bible. All right, we are in this together. 
And when you roll the dice and take your turn and make a mess, we all suffer for it, right? And we're all suffering because our founding father and mother really blew up the whole thing from the beginning. You have to see that it's all intertwined. You're not playing your own little game. We're in this together. We all came from one man, and therefore we're a part of the same story. So we have to admit that we're sinful by nature. Therefore, death is universal. We all die. We all die because we all sin. Now, some people don't like this thought, and they, they disagree with the thought of original sin. They'll say, you know what? I'll admit that I follow Adam's example. Like, yeah, I sinned too. It's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches Adam's sin is your sin. You inherited his legal guilt, and therefore you were born with a sin nature. Yeah, the day came when you were, I don't know, one, you know, and you stared down your mama, and you were like, no. And who knows? Who knows when your first official sin was? But it happened. Ask your mama. All right. It happened. But the point is, the hard drive was already corrupted from birth. The hard drive of your soul was gone. And later in life, you started downloading all of this software. But the hardware is bad, and the software you downloaded is bad. It's both. But you, if you don't admit that you're sinful by nature, you won't understand where all of your problems come from. And therefore, death is universal. All die because all sin. In Adam, all sinned, and therefore, in Adam, all die. Disagreeing with this doctrine is no new thing. In the 5th century, there was a showdown between a British monk named Pelagius and Augustine, a Roman bishop from today what is Algeria. Pelagius was condemned as a heretic by the Council of Carthage in 418. Basically, the early church council affirmed what the Bible teaches. We are sinful by nature. We're sinful by nature. Have you defined the problem biblically? Do you admit what the Bible says is true? That sin came into the world through one man, which means God made it good and we ruined it. It's our fault, not his. And so... Death came through sin, and death spread to all men because all sinned in Adam. Do you agree? We're, all, we're sinful by nature, but jot this down. The Bible also affirms that we're sinful by choice. You can write that down. It's both. We're sinful by nature, and we're sinful by choice. It goes on in verse 13 to say this. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. There's very deep, amazing theology here, so let's pick it apart. The bottom line is that we all sin. Like, like Adam, we sin. Now, we might sin in a different way than Adam, but the Bible says very clearly here that our transgression, maybe it's not the same as his, but we do sin. The Bible consistently says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So we all sin by choice. It says here that uh, in verse 13, sin was in the world before the law was given. That means the law of Moses. So when Moses walked up Mount Sinai and God gave him the Ten Commandments, right, there was plenty of sin up until that point before the law was handed down. So it's possible to sin even if we don't understand God's moral law officially handed down. It's possible to still sin. It says, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Now, we have to be careful 
what that does and what that doesn't mean. That doesn't mean, if you're ignorant of God's law, that you're innocent. That, that's not what it means. It means sin is not counted the same way. Okay, meaning that the way God counted Israel's sin against them when they had the law was very swift and immediate and severe. But when it comes to the sin of people who didn't have God's law up to that point, God wasn't dealing with their sin the same way. But it's still called sin. Because it, it says here, sin was in the world. It's sin. It's still sin. Sin was in the world, right? It says sin was in the world before the law was given, but it wasn't counted, so God wasn't acting the same way towards it. Yet death reigned, so everybody died. You know, everybody died because everybody sinned because of what Adam did. From Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one to come. The, the bottom line is we're sinful by choice, but a few things that we can pull out of this um, would be that the fact that we're born sinful is not an excuse for our sinful choices. Okay? We are born sinful, but the Bible never says, therefore, God's okay, he knows that you just can't help it, Adam blew it. So the fact that we're born sinful is never an excuse for our sinful choices. Uh, when my daughter Ellie was younger, she did something naughty. She was really young, right? And she went to church her whole life, and so she, she got in trouble, and we said, well, why did you do that? And she explained it, and then we're like, wow, well, you, you shouldn't be doing that. And she looked it up, up at us, and she said, if only Eve hadn't eaten that apple. <laughs> and I was like, oh, no, you don't. <laughs> oh, no, you don't. You're Christian kids, am I right? This is not why we're teaching you the Bible. That you can have a get out of sin card. If only Eve hadn't eaten that apple, this never would have happened, right? We are sinful by choice. And the, the Bible says that we love darkness. So if you're like, I don't like this Adam blew it for me. And why, why is his track record ruining? You love darkness too. Okay, so we're sinful by birth and we're sinful by choice. Now, the law was given, and we need to know why. The law was given to alert us to our sinful behavior. All right, that, that's why the law was given. Uh, the law was given not to solve the problem, but to reveal the problem. So the law wasn't designed to save us. God's law was designed to warn us. And we're sinful even if we are unaware of God's law. Romans 2, Romans 2 says that those who sin without the law will perish without the law. We're still guilty. Okay, we're still guilty because we know better. But the law was given so that we would be warned about the problem. So we had a wana this last week. I was in my office and I smelled gas. And I came out, I was like, I smell gas. Anybody smell gas? And I tinkered with it, which was a bad idea. And I probably made it worse. And I was like, I don't know. So I went back from the kitchen into my office. Well, with our phase two construction, they had to shut off the gas this week to hook up the new whatever. And then they turned it back on. Well, the pilot lights went out. And we kind of relit the stovetop ones, but apparently there's two in the ovens that weren't relit, and gas was just kind of leaking into the kitchen, right? So I heard all this commotion, so then I came out, you know, after five minutes after I tried to fix it, and there were like three guys in there taking the oven apart, like, we got to get in there, we got to, I'm like, what's going on? We smell gas. And I'm like, yeah, I smell it too, it's getting bad. I didn't tell them, I probably made it worse, all right, I just let them get to work. 
But there they were going to town. We smell gas. Gas means danger, right? Gas means danger, and you've got you've to get the problem. Now, do you know that gas doesn't smell bad? Do you know that? NICOR adds something. Do you know this? Adds something to make it smell like rotten eggs. That's artificial. If they didn't do that, no one would know, and you'd go boom. Okay? What can we do to help people not go boom? Make it smell real bad. Okay, thank you, NICOR. Because now we've got a whole crew in there, and they're t- taking the thing apart, and they finally got it lit. Right? They got it lit, they got everything, and, they saw, and, and then our church didn't blow up. I'm very thankful to them. Not that we were in any great danger. But here's the point. God gave the law to help you detect the threat of your sin. God gave the law so that you would see your sin stinks, your sin is filthy, your sin is harmful. Look, he gave the law to alert you to your peril. But the law doesn't save us. It warns us. So we have to define the problem, admit we're sinful by nature, admit we're sinful by choice. And in verse 14 it says, death reigned from Adam to Moses. So John Stott says here we have Paul describing the deteriorating stages in human history from one man sinning to now all men are dying. That's how we got here. Now number two, write this down, we have to locate the solution. We have to define the problem and we have to locate the solution. And reading on in verse 15, it says this, but the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, how much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. So now we're contrasting Adam and Jesus. One man, one man. And there's... there's similarities, but there's also differences in what they did. Here are the differences it's saying. It says in verse 17, for if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. So how do we locate the solution? Well, Adam pointed to Jesus. It said here in verse 14, he was a type of the one to come. Adam was a preview of Jesus. What Adam did, Jesus would do in a greater sense. Uh, Adam, the word type in the Bible means like a pre-enactment. That is a word. I checked. Pre-enactment. You know, a reenactment is like when they get out on the battlefield and show you what happened in the Civil War, right? A reenactment. A pre-enactment is when God does something in the Bible before he actually does it fully. And so Adam was a preview of what God would do in Jesus. But what Jesus did is very different from what Adam did. Uh, How do they differ? Well, Jesus differs in that grace of Jesus surpasses the guilt of Adam. The grace of Jesus solves the guilt of Adam. And the grace of Jesus saves the guilty. The grace of Christ surpasses the guilt, solves the guilt, and saves the guilty. 
Therefore, what Jesus did is infinitely greater than what Adam did. When it comes to the idea that the grace surpasses the guilt, there are several words here that, that make you want to see that what Jesus did was so much better. It says in verse 15, it abounded for many. It said much more the grace of God and the free gift have come. It's, it's not like what Adam did, right? Because there are so many who will receive the abundance of grace after so many sins. I read something that helped me understand what was being said here by one scholar this week. He said, if you go to the forest and you light one tree on fire, soon the whole forest will be ablaze. Your one small sinful act can set an entire forest on fire. Now you did something that was very damaging and large, but you started with something very small. Here's the thing. Putting that fire out is a much greater act. And with one righteous act of Jesus, he put the entire forest fire of sin out. The truth is that with Jesus' righteous act at the cross, he extinguished the forest fire of hell for you forever. That's amazing. Adam blew it. He lit a tree on fire. Now the whole forest is on fire. Jesus put the whole fire out if you trust him. So Adam did one sinful act. Jesus did one amazing righteous act. But it's not a one-to-one -one correspondence. What Jesus did is infinitely greater than what Adam did. So jot this down. Salvation is a free gift. Salvation is a free gift. It says here in verse 15, free gift. Verse 16, free gift. And again, free gift. Verse 17, free gift. God really wants us to know that this is a free gift of eternal life. So only Jesus can solve the guilt that Adam gave you. Only Jesus can solve the guilt your sin has earned you. Only the grace of Christ can get rid of the guilt in your life. And the promise here, it says in verse 17, because of the one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. The idea there is you are in heaven, ruling forever, elevated, not, not ashamed. It's amazing. And it's free. So only Jesus can deliver you your opportunity to go to paradise forever. And the great news is it's free and you can have it right now. I saw an advertisement this week. Amazon is bragging. Amazon is bragging because they can now deliver your groceries to you in just two hours. Check it out. It says free two-hour delivery. You can... Wow! Why aren't you saying wow? wow? Wow. Hello, Amazon here. I can deliver groceries to you in just two hours. They want you to say, wow. I can get my groceries in just two hours. Free delivery. That's amazing. According to what we're learning in the scripture here, Jesus can deliver you heaven instantly. Groceries in two hours. Wow. Heaven instantly it's amazing listen listen to what the bible is saying paradise free yours now 
Paradise free yours now. Wow! This is amazing. I've never seen an offer like this before. We're supposed to be blown away that after the, the mess we've made with this world, God says, free gift. Wow. Number one, we have to define the problem. We're sinful by nature. We're sinful by choice. Number two, we have to locate the solution. Salvation is a free gift, which means we have to know how we don't get it. Write this down. It's not a result of religious ritual. So going to church doesn't save you. Reading your Bible doesn't save you. Uh, doing a ceremony doesn't save you. Saying magic words doesn't save you. It's not a result of religious ritual. It's not a result of charitable actions. Giving to charity doesn't save you. Helping the needy doesn't save you. It's not a result of good behavior. Uh, watching your language doesn't save you. Okay. The Bible is very clear. Religious people don't go to heaven. Charitable people don't go to heaven. Good people don't go to heaven. Saved people go to heaven. Are you a saved person? Because when I ask people, are you going to heaven, they'll usually tell me one of those other three things. Well, I'm a good person. Good people don't go to heaven. Well, I'm a religious person. Religious people don't go to heaven. Well, I give it. Charitable people don't go to heaven. Well, then what is it? Saved people. Are you a saved person? Are you a saved person? And only Jesus can save you. It says in 1 Corinthians 15, 21 to 22, for as by a man, that's Adam, came death, so by a man, that's Jesus, has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. One scholar said this, our condemnation flows from Adam, our justification flows from Jesus Christ. So now if you trace back your sin, we've gone all the way back to Eden, but if you trace back when you got right with God, you've got to go to the cross of Christ. That's where your salvation flows from. One man. The truth here is God sorts humanity into only two groups. Those tied to the fate of Adam and those tied to the fate of Jesus. Whose fate are you tied to? Another scholar says this, Christ alone is able to fully reverse the effects of Adam's sin. Have you located the solution in your life? Have you defined the problem? Have you located the solution? God is offering you a free gift, grace that takes away all your guilt. And only the Lord Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for you in his one righteous act before God, can take away all of your sin. So we define the problem, we locate the solution, and then number three, jot this down, make the choice. Have you made the choice? It goes on to say in verse 18, Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Have you made the choice yet? Have you 
agreed with God's word that you need to be made righteous, that you need a free gift, that you need to be justified, that you need to be reconciled? Have you made the choice? Are you confident that you're going to heaven? And if so, what are you basing your confidence on? What God's word says or what you've just found online or in your heart or what your grandma used to say? Like, do you really have biblical confidence that you're going to heaven? And the question is, have you made the choice? Now, if you read this out of context, it, you might, it might sound like universalism, right? Like, uh, one act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all men. Oh, that sounds like all dogs go to heaven, right? That sounds like everyone's going to get saved, but that is clearly not what's being taught in the Scripture. Okay. It's those who are in Christ who will be saved. And therefore, it's all who have made the choice to place their trust in Jesus Christ. It says in the last verse here, Jesus Christ our Lord. Those who have Jesus Christ as Lord are the ones who have been brought from death to life, from darkness to life. The key verses in the book of Romans that we studied early on are Romans 1, 16 to 17. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for the salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Hey, have you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? If so, God has given you a free gift of eternal life forever. And I love how one scholar pointed out something that I missed. He says there are four rulers mentioned in these verses, if you read carefully. In verse 14, it says sin reigned and death reigned. Or it says death reigned in verse 14. That's one. It says sin reigned in verse 21. That's two. But then it says grace can reign, and that's three. And then it says in verse 17, you can reign. Wow. Death reigned, sin reigned, but if grace reigns, you reign. You can rise up above being ruled by sin and death and actually arrive as more than a conqueror in the next life. Wow. No more slavery to sin, no more fear of death. Have you made the choice? In 1 Corinthians 15, 45, and 49, it says this, Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. So Jesus is referred to here as the last Adam, right? There are many ways that you can describe what Jesus did. But he's like a new Adam. He's like the last Adam. He's like a new dawn to a new humanity, right? But what Adam ruined, Jesus came to fix. Have you made the choice? If sin rules your heart in Adam, death will rule you in this life and the next. If grace rules in your heart in Jesus, you will conquer sin and death in this life and in the next. Is Jesus your Lord? You can be made righteous, you can be justified, but only if you make the choice to turn away from sin to ask Jesus to save you forever. Jesus is the plan. Jesus is the plan. God has a plan, and Jesus is the plan. How, how do you do this, though? Well, jot this down. You confess your sins to God. Say, God, I agree. I agree. I was born sinful, and I chose sin. I am sinful and broken beyond repair. Confess your sins to God. Jot this down. Then you believe God's grace is greater than all of your sin. 
And you need to hear this. It doesn't matter what you did. It doesn't matter how far you've wandered away. It doesn't matter how long you've been out there wandering on the minefield and getting blown up and ruining your life and ruining other people's lives. It doesn't matter. God has grace that is abounding beyond all of your sin. As your sin increased, God's grace increased all the more. Wow. For many people, this is what's holding them back. If I were to ask you a question, how would you answer it? What is your best reason for not following Christ as Savior? What is, what is your best reason for not following Christ as Savior? For a lot of people, surprisingly, they'll say, God could never forgive a person like me. And there's a lot of people in this room who came to Christ. But if you remember correctly, how many of you would say, before you got saved, one of the major hang-ups for you was you thought God could never forgive a person like you? How many of you thought that? That's a powerful lie that Satan will tell you. You, you, God could never, and this is what Satan does. Oh, he baits you into sin. Oh, it's going to be so much fun. Do it. Run out there. It's going to be great. And then once you do it, he's like, oh, no. Oh, look what you did. Oh, no one's going to love you anymore. This is his tactic, right? But there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Grace greater than all your sin. Believe God's grace is greater than all your sin. And then jot this down. Ask Jesus to save you and change you. Save you and change you. Have you asked, have you transferred from the guilt of Adam to the grace of Christ? For me, it happened. If I asked you to share your story, could you share it? See, for me, it happened when I was a freshman in college. I knew some of the Bible growing up. I went to CCD. I went to backyard Bible clubs. Right? I, I learned a little of it, but it wasn't, it wasn't crystal clear. I, I believed in God and heaven and hell and all that. Figured I was going to heaven. And then as a freshman in college, I started thinking, I don't know what I believe. And then I started getting very angry at God. And then I started challenging, making fun of Christians. And I started sinning more and more and more life-changing sins, right? And um, then my friend, I was in a heavy metal band. And my friend was the bass player and I was the drummer. And he went to church every weekend. I don't know why, like a nerd. And I was like, you go to church every weekend? I go to church twice a year. You go to church every week? And we started having fights. And he shared the gospel with me. It told me how you can be saved. So I started going to church with him. I met with the pastor. I brought a whole legal pad with questions. Questions, 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 questions. And he was so patient. He answered all my questions. And then the day came where all my excuses ran out. I just knelt down beside my bed and I said, Lord, I believe. I believe Jesus died on the cross and I confess that I'm sinful and I need you to forgive me and wash away all my sin. And I said that. And then I kind of opened one eye like, did I do it right? And then I did it again. Well, just in case I did it wrong. See, see, but I was saved, and the floor didn't shake, and an angel didn't appear, but I was saved. I was saved. Are you saved? The guilt of Adam rolled off of me, and the grace of Christ filled me, and I'm a new creation. Has that happened to you? Has that happened to you? This is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Grace greater than all my sin. If you define the problem and locate the solution and make the choice to follow Christ, only Jesus can bring you to paradise forever with him. I want to give you a chance to respond to what you heard today. Let's close our eyes, let's bow our hearts, and let's take a moment to pray.
Maybe you're not even used to praying. Maybe, maybe you don't know how to pray. When's the last time you prayed? Prayer is just talking to God. Prayer is just talking to God. You don't need these. You don't need vows. You don't need to change your voice. You just talk to God. That's all it is. And it's time for you to talk to God and to be honest with Him. And you can, in your own heart, you can say something like this, Father, forgive me for my life of sin. Forgive me for my transgressions, for my lawlessness, for my trespasses. Forgive me. Forgive me for failing to trust you, for hurting so many people. Forgive me for all of my sins. And you can say this in your own heart. Say, Jesus, I believe. Say that in your heart. Say, Jesus, I believe. I believe you are the way, the truth, and the life. I believe. The time for you to make peace with God is right now. Soon your time will be up. Soon you will cross over the great canyon between this world and the spiritual realm. You will either cross over in the name of Adam or in the name of Jesus. And if God's grace has come upon you, God himself will welcome you into paradise for eternity as a friend. Now is the time. Now is the time to respond to what you've heard. Believe in your heart. Receive the free gift of eternal life and be transformed forever. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and let's sing. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus and to take him at his word just to Just to trust His glory.